Welcome, action fans, and thanks for joining us for another edition of All 90s Action All the Time, as we continue our trawl through the 90s films of Sylvester Stallone. I'm your host, Scott Murphy, and I can reassure you that after dragging ourselves through two major duds, we have finally struck gold, as today we are talking about Cliffhanger. Alongside me to chat about this stolen classic is my regular co-host. Yes, you know him. He is a screenwriter, podcaster, and a man who you will hear throughout the podcast is noticeably more cheerful on this episode. It's <laughs> Mr. Craig Draheim. I came back for you, Scott. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, man. Thanks. <laughs> As always, uh, some details before we get into the plot of the film. Oh, well, at this point, I should give my regular spoiler warning that, yes, we go right through the plot of each film that we cover on the pod. So if you have not seen the film and don't want spoilers, turn off now, watch the film, come back, listen to us talk about the film. That's what you should do. <laughs> then again, if you are listening to this podcast, I'd be kind of surprised if you hadn't seen this film, but maybe even not. So, yeah, there you go. Anyway, on to our regular background details. Cliffhanger came out on May the 28th, 1993, and was directed by Rennie Harlan, who also directed the likes of Die Hard 2, uh, The Long Kiss Goodnight, uh, Cut Through Island, a bunch of other stuff. And uh, the writing credits are a bit complicated. It was based on the initial premise from uh, American rock climber John Long, with an original screenplay by the late Michael France, who sadly died in 2013, age 51, whose other credits include the likes of GoldenEye, Hulk, and The Punisher. That is the 2003 Ang Lee Hulk movie for, for, for those uh, wondering. Um, the, other, the other one was The Incredible Hulk. Um, so not that one, the, the Ang Lee one, Eric Banner one. Um, uh, but also the script had some rewrites by Stone himself, who also got a writing credit. On the review front, it currently six, sits at a 6.5 out of 10 on IMDb, which is the joint highest rating of any film we have covered so far in the film. So <laughs> pretty low bar, but like, there you go. There you go. 69% uh, on Rotten Tomatoes based on 54 reviews and 60 on Metacritic based on 16 reviews and uh, finally a 3.1 on Letterboxd. All of those are amongst the highest scores we have dealt with uh, so far. Uh, Under Siege beats it on Rotten Tomatoes, but doesn't quite beat it on Metacritic. Um, Under Siege has a, a 58 on Metacritic, and Under Siege is also the other film that has a 6.5 out of 10 on IMDb. Uh, as well as that, the film was nominated for three Oscars, Best Sound, Best Sound Effect Editing, and Best Visual Effect. Unfortunately, it came out in the same year as Jurassic Park, so Jurassic Park won all those awards. And it was also... <laughs> Uh, conversely, was also nominated for three Razzies uh, for Worst Supporting Actor for John Lithgow, which seems insane. Yeah. Uh, Worst Supporting Actress for Janine Turner uh, and Worst Screenplay. The film made $255 million at the global box office off a $70 million budget, making it Stallone's highest grossing film since his 1985 double whammy of Rambo 2 and Rocky IV, both of which uh, did $300 million. And you'd think that'd be a, a big success for Car 
Carl Cove Fit Pictures, but it was not because of the complicated financial arrangement for this film. They didn't make that much money off it and actually went bust uh, only two years later, sadly, because they, they produced a lot of the fun action movies of the 80s and, and early 90s. I, you know, like, when it, it, it gives me a lot of nostalgia every time I see the Carl Cole Pictures logo at the start yeah, of a film. Same here. And I, I don't know, I can't, I guess as I get older, can't handle the Razzies because, especially what you and I do with reviewing Scott and as much as we've watched, like, there is so much worse than most of what the Razzies will put up. That but. is so true. Yeah, I mean, like the things that get nominated. I mean, some things that get nominated for the Razzies and win Razzies are like utterly deserving. You know, yeah. like things like Freddy Got Fingered, Battlefield Earth. You know, th- these are some of genuinely the worst films ever made. But like some other things, you're just like, oh, they just don't like these people. And I think it's one of those things. It was just like, they're so lazy that sometimes I think they just have actors that they just assume are in bad movies all the time. So they just seem to automatically get nominated. And Stolen's pictures have often been nominated for the Razzies. And I feel like it's just one of those things of just being like, oh, it's a stolen picture. We'll nominate it for a a bunch of stuff. Because it doesn't feel deserving of like, I'm sure there was a lot worse screenplays in 1993. It's not an amazing (laughs) screenplay. It's cheesy. It's action, you know. But again, it's I've seen definitely a lot, lot worse. Janine Turner's performance as as Jesse is is not amazing, but it's fine. And the John Lithgow one is, I mean, he's got a dodgy English accent, but he is yeah. a, he's genuinely brilliant in this film. Yeah, he's he's, really, he's yeah. so much fun. Yeah, no, I agree. He's really kind of hamming it up to a you know, and it's very entertaining. Yeah, absolutely. So the Razzies definitely misguided on this one, and like you say, because of the types of films we covered uh, both on our respective horror podcasts on this podcast of the kind of movies we've watched that and we we've both watched a lot of terrible movies and <laughs> so have a, a, a pretty decent knowledge of terrible movies so yeah some of the stuff against nominated is just kind of ridiculous but actually like moving on to the film itself one of the things that was quite entertaining about reading about the film in terms of the research was the kind of development of the film and how this film came out of the rubble of various failed projects that Carlco tried to get as the own vehicles so there's three of them right so i'll read i'll read okay. them out to you in case you don't know so at first they tried to make a film called Bartholomew versus Nerf. Have you heard of this? I've heard the name, but I don't. Okay. No. Yeah. So, so this was supposed to be a comedy directed by John Hughes and co-starring John Candy, where John Candy and Stallone okay. played two neighbors uh, who basically have a feud. So it's like bad <laughs> neighbors, but like with Stallone and John Candy. And um, so that fell through. And then there was a sci-fi horror picture called Isobar, which is about a genetically mutated monster that gets loose on a high-speed train that was supposed to co-star Kim Basinger. And at various points was had Ridley Scott attached as director and also had Roland Emmerich attached as director. And Roland Emmerich would go on to work with uh, Carl Cole because he directed Universal Soldier. And um, then, I think this is the most entertaining one of them all, there was an action disaster movie 
called Gale Force, which was described as Die Hard in a Hurricane, which uh, <laughs> actually had <laughs> which actually had Rennie Harlan attached to direct. So it was the one that seemed to get closest to actually being made. And, but it also uh, it fell through. The plot of that movie apparently was, like I said, die hard in a hurricane and Stone protects a small town against a group of modern day pirates. And the most, most entertaining thing about it, this is from Wikipedia, so if it's uh, who knows if it's true or not, the most entertaining thing I read about it was apparently, of the many scriptwriters who had a pass at the script, apparently there was about half a dozen uh, screenplays written for this. One of those screenplays was written by Joe Esterhaz, who, because he's Joe Esterhaz, turned it into an erotic thriller and... <laughs> And apparently it was rejected because of that, because he just turned it into an erotic thriller. Because he's Joe Hester has. What did you yeah. expect? <laughs> I mean, if you're going to do it, why not do it as an erotic thriller? That's my, how can you turn that stuff down? <laughs> well, well, yeah, yeah, well. We well, I mean, we'll go on to talk about in, in a few weeks. We'll go on to talk about a film that has erotic thriller elements in it. Yeah. Uh, but that's a whole different movie. So we, we'll not jump the gun. We'll focus uh, on cliffhanger. Although I did want to note something. Like so, in this kind of opening scene that we get, right? Yes. Where we get like uh, Stallone kind of hanging on a cliff face. We get this big epic panning shot of all these uh, mountains, um, which are apparently, according to the film, the Rockies, but in yeah. real life was actually Cortina de Pezzo because it was actually filmed in the Dolomites in Italy. Yeah. Uh, so there you go. Um, but in this scene, he's hanging there and he's chatting away to Jesse and uh, yeah and she says uh, that he says he's just hanging out yeah. and uh, she says oh the so I don't recognize the face but the butt looks familiar and you know how we kind of discussed in like the Seagal episodes of like all the Seagal action flexes right yeah and like all his things now for some reason I feel like Stallone really, of all the things that he wants to accentuate about himself, it is his glutes. Like he is, because in Rocky Five, there's a showering scene that has a loving shot of his butt. Then Stop or Mama Shoot, there is a showering scene that, you know, again, it's it's not quite as loving, but it's it's still it's still there. So like he's really, he's really wanting to point out that he thinks he's got a great ass. Yeah. No, I think. It might be because, you know, that friendly rivalry, I don't know if it's friendly or not, but between him and Schwarzenegger and Schwarzenegger was, you know, had the, the arms. Oh, he's got the biceps like, covered. So yeah. he needs to pick another body. So he yeah. needs to pick another body part. It's <laughs> yeah. like, well, my biceps are good, but like, you're not quite as big, you know? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what other body part can I pick? Well, yeah. I think I've got a great ass. <laughs> no, it pop, yeah it does pop up a lot and you don't realize it until it's i guess spoken aloud and then you're like oh yeah yep and this one it's accentuated yep okay yep and not only that it you know there's kind of some scenes within this movie where there's shots they kind of glorify it it feels like <laughs> there definitely is because I, I was thinking about the movies we're going to cover in a few weeks and i'm like i'm sure there's like a i'm sure he's like naked at some point in demolition man and then there's that yeah of course famously ropey 
uh, shower scene and, and, and it's the specialist and all. Yeah. <laughs> like and, and like judge dread he's wearing the tight yeah you know, pants and all that stuff yep. yeah uh, anyway i suppose <laughs> we, you know, we we should we should move on <laughs> yeah <laughs> we could just do the episode on that <laughs> <laughs> just, the episode was supposed to be a cliffhanger but yeah. no it's actually going to be highlights on stallone's ass um, yeah. <laughs> no no craig let's move on let's uh let's let's talk about the movie uh where where do we go to next after stolen ass chat so we go to what is one of you know i think so many of these movies we've kind of watched and they they have some iconic scenes for fan or for like you know 90s action fans but this is arguably one of like the most famous opening shot opening scenes of you know, an action film. I think I could, you know, certainly could yes. get a bunch of people to help, you know, say I'm wrong. But I mean, for me, this is like a very iconic. But he goes up to see his friend Hal, played by Michael Rooker, who's for once not playing a villain. <laughs> yes, you would be surprised listener to find her <laughs> not a villain. No, yeah. <laughs> good guy. <laughs> yeah. And his, I, I think it's just his girlfriend, not his fiance. I'm yeah, I think yeah. it is just his girlfriend, Sarah. Yeah, who are kind of stuck up on this this huge cliff, and Hal's knee has given out. But yeah, they go up there to get rescued, and they're very jokey and chit chatty, and obviously they're friends. And they talk about they're going to have dinner together later tonight. And they're you know it establishes that they're they've known each other for some times, and they're all really close with one another because they're all chatting. And they they get the lines set across, and there's the whole thing about what is it they actually blew his knee getting out of a hot tub which she thought it was always a nom injury and then the um he's even kind of flirting with her jokingly but this is when we get to the essential part of first michael rooker goes across the line it's completely fine the winds are said to be picking up around there so they kind of have to hurry he gets to the helicopter with frank and jesse which Jesse is um, Gabe, played by Stallone's love interest. Well, not even love interest. They're in a long relationship. And I don't know, again, I don't know if they're married or not. That's one they never really, but they live it's together. It's never established, and they a house but we, we found out not long after that they, they have a house together. Yeah. And then she starts to go across, but her some of the uh, harnesses snap yeah so she falls out and she's hanging on for dear life and it's either wait so hal wants to get in his harness and go back to her because the weight wouldn't be able to hold just two people on one harness but that's going to take too long and he's not as close and she's already falling so gabe makes the decision to go out and get her and then we get the famous ace ventura when nature calls scene (laughs) as we talked about before this yes that's that's true with a famous raccoon scene, yeah. <laughs> which has not at all spoiled the scene forever. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, for us and anybody who has seen that movie, <laughs> yeah, but it's the whole thing where he, she fault, he's able to catch her. She keeps saying how she doesn't want to die, but her, I think even other action films I've seen like. It feels like have kind of not parodied it, but paid. I think homage. it was Are parodied it, in another. I think yeah. Spy Hard parried it as well. Yeah. Either one of the, I can't remember if it's like the last Naked Gun film or if it's Spy Hard. I think it's maybe Spy Hard that like parodies yeah. it as well. Yeah. And the, her love is slipping. He's trying to hold on and he's telling her she just needs to reach up, but 
she's too panicked and then she slips and in a very slow motion falls to her death and then they all just are broken up about it <laughs> and, and it's i mean it's, as much as we kind of uh, laugh at it it it's, is it's done effective. It, yeah it is effective and it is super suspenseful it, it, it's kind of made slightly funny by the dramatic slow-mo kind of drop of the uh of the kind of soft toy dog that she's got yeah like um it falls you know falls out her pocket or whatever yeah i think um, doing that it kind of it um i know they're trying to make it look trying to show i guess either foreshadowing or show what's you know they're how crucial it is that or what would happen but yeah i i agree that it kind of cuts out some of the the punch that it would have had yes yeah. if she was to just drop and yeah i didn't realize until watching again i've seen this movie a ton of times when i was younger um how much they use kind of the silent slow-mo part <laughs> it pops yes with, there yeah. is a bunch of kind of hans gruber style deaths in this movie mm -hmm. like um yeah I, like i had kind of forgotten just how much slow-mo was used in the movie because like you i had seen this movie a lot as a kid we discussed that we both had it as vhs recordings mm -hmm. off the telly and uh, i watched that you know video that i had a bunch but um the last time i saw this picture i was probably 18 and like i'm you know verging on 36 now so like um yeah i've not seen this movie in about 18 years so like i there was certain scenes that stuck out in my my heads in, in a big way that you know we'll, we'll discuss but yeah I, I kind of forgotten like just how much slow-mo is, is used in the picture yeah and i mean i think it worked i think it's hard now with you know directors like Zack snyder and all of them who have used it to like this extreme but so that that's all you can think of when you watch slow-mo at least for me yeah. anymore no i i know he's kind of spoiled it yeah for yeah. sure <laughs> but you know at least i remember at the time not finding it a big deal it's just yeah yeah no i i don't i don't remember it i think the fact that i forgot it is you know like an indicator of that of like it didn't stick out my head as like being like this big silly thing i mean yeah. now like i see it as this kind of over-the-top melodramatic thing that's kind of a bit funny but yeah. i think as a kid i was just en engrossed in the kind of suspense of the action sequence that i didn't you know and i, I think you know i found it quite uh suspenseful and sad and you know like uh the kind of exact response that rennie harland would would want from an audience yeah. member uh, so yeah and i i'll give credit so I, I don't know this is going to be an interesting one because it's the first that i'm a part of where one that i've, I've seen it a bunch and two that i actually more than just like oh it's it was funny, so it was fun and watching it that sense, but I actually enjoy the movie that um no, I think it does a pretty decent job for an action movie like this of kind of without giving us huge exposition dumps of really kind of establishing all the characters. That giving, is true. You know, like we'll going, also okay, get so, into yeah. where it does do exposition dumps yeah, and yeah, some yes, that too. <laughs> uh, it, and it some of the characters who are entirely extraneous to the film. But yeah. like but at least, I mean, you get a sense of like their their relationship amongst each other without what yeah, it, yeah what will be coming where we get a lot of it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure, for sure. Uh, but the yeah, and then we kind of after that, after her death, uh, we we cut away from that, and we got like a brief scene in the 
in the Treasury Department at the or the Denver Mint. We we cut to the Denver mm-hmm. Mint, and there's all these kind of Treasury agents uh, counting money, and we kind of don't know what that's about. Uh, apart, like it basically introduced the fact that they're transporting money on a, on a plane, and then that's that's basically it. So, like, yeah, most of the things that happen at the Mint basically are just kind of expository dumps yeah. of just kind of like this is what is happening now in the plot yeah. okay tick uh so yeah. tick and we move on and we cut back to gabe returning to town after he's been gone for it eight almost months. a year yeah almost a year almost a year and uh he when he first uh, is kind of riding back into town he bumps into Two early '90s stereotypes. <laughs> this is, this is, was the, that was the most cringeworthy part for me. <laughs> I read down in my notes: two extreme sports bros track down Gabe because yeah. they kind of uh, chase after him in the car. Like they see him uh, drive by, and then they jump into their car and they kind of chase after them. Yeah. And... Like, Gabe's back, bro. Gabe's back. <laughs> and they both drive. They have this long scene of talking to each other car yeah. car driving at you know a decent speed on both lanes of the road I, and i'd true. say they're like it's like oh, it's 70 miles an hour or yeah. something <laughs> yeah so it must just be like an empty road and they're not even looking forward <laughs> yeah do you know what it made me think of as well yeah. like you remember that episode of The Simpsons where they introduce a new character into Itchy and Scratchy? Yeah. And it's like this remember that. Yeah. cool uh, cool dog, yeah. you know? Yeah. Like, uh, it's kind of it's kind of like that. Or you can kind of see that the film is like, and the filmmakers are like, well, this is what this is what the kids are into, isn't it? Like extreme sports and yeah. MTV, and they all talk like, "Yeah, dude, like, whoa, totally." Like, I've seen Bill and Ted. <laughs> like, yeah, <laughs> yeah. And their whole purpose of the movie just seems like it's setting up again. It's an, I guess, going back on what I was talking about earlier, <laughs> an exposition of like they're going to do a jump where you know you jump and then pull you the out the parachute. Are you? Yeah, jump? they're really like yeah. skydivers. Yeah, but they're. T- but he's telling them to be careful because there's a blizzard coming. And that seems like all the only purpose for it is to be like, there's a blizzard coming. They pop up later, but are they really crucial to the plot? (laughs) No, they're absolutely, (laughs) they're absolutely not. And it's one of those weird things of being like, because you've seen other movies before, you're kind of like, oh, these are just kind of characters. We're just going to see them in this one scene. They're no, they're totally not going to have a subplot. Yeah. <laughs> no, they give them they have like a good three or four scenes of like talking to each other in a tent and like yeah, they, yeah calling yeah. each other cheesehead. Like I mean, and they're so like I say, they're so kind of early nineties stereotypes, and they, they like they're dressed in the most early nineties way. One of them's wearing a bandana. It's all this kind of like multicolored. Kind of, I think that if it looks like they're wearing Zumbas or something, you know, yeah. like <laughs> they talk about MTV. What was it? Well, we'll get to it. There's a whole scene of there's a whole scene likely they're on MTV. when they're talking about MTV and stuff like yeah. that. And uh, yeah, like, and I this line kind of entertained me so much that I felt like I had to uh write it down. Like, uh, Gabe, you know, like Stone's character. He's talking about work and one of the characters, uh, the characters <laughs> are called Evan and Brett. And Evan says, oh, I hate bro, that man. word, even when other people are doing <laughs> yeah. it. <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> so that's their purpose. That is their. Then purpose. we move on to the actual plotting, <laughs> to the actual story. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, we we cut back to Gabe being reunited with uh, Jesse, Janine Turner's character, and uh, yeah, like Gabe is genuinely like I've just written down in my notes, uh, Gabe being a big martyr. Um, that's... yeah, but I like that they had because so he feels the pain from all of it and blames himself and everything. But I like that she, they have her call him out, not that oh you did all you could and you made you were the only one who was being cool about it but she's basically you know it's not playing into the i guess the stereotype of that it could that she's just she kind of becomes later on you know the purposeless purposeless love interest or you know without motive but she kind of has that character element of i know you're full of crap like it it happened and you need to we need to start working through it or you know all this stuff yeah although i feel like she does play into another (laughs) action trope because while there is the action trope of like just the kind of damsel in distress uh, love interest i have noticed that there is also a lot of films where a female character who is the love interest be it maybe she's not the love interest at the time becomes the love interest or a you know like they had a relationship and the the relationship is rebuilt throughout the film or whatever and at the start of the film they're tough and resourceful and sarcastic and have a mind of their own but by the end of the movie they're just a a puddle in the hero's arms you know what i mean like they just progressively lose skills throughout the movie yeah no i mean i agree because in the beginning she's like even amongst the chatting among themselves like she's pretty strong-headed or you know independent she's the one who says she's not just going to go with him but it kind of indicates that even though he's been gone for a while that they're still in a relationship in a way like they never officially broke it up because she's assuming he just was taking this time to deal with it and now he's going to come back yeah i guess is that what's kind of the thought and he's coming to say well i'm I want to bring you with me. So it seems like they aren't breaking up. They're like both of them are trying to hold on to the relationship. Yeah, for sure. And he has she has a new horse and which again isn't doesn't really come into play or anything. But, <laughs> but that's just a thing. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it is a fact. She does have a new horse. Yeah. Uh, but then we get the other side of the plot as we cut to <laughs> the expositions the, part. We cut to the expositions part. Well, we 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 cut to the 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 money plane. Yeah. And so, so the money is only for um so it can't be cashed in the United States because it's in thousand dollar bill, which we don't have. But um yeah, they're explaining that it's only for international purposes or something. From what yeah, I guess it's kind of given so you the only way for it to there's all these codes on it, all this stuff, it's so secure. Yeah. And the only way for it to actually be used is by um Nobody could really, what was it, um, transfer, or if you stole it, it'd be, per- yeah. It'd be, it'd be kind of useless, but yeah. We'll get to the, who can do it. <laughs> we'll get to who can do it, because that exposition dump doesn't actually come for a while of, of, yeah. like, of who, who can do it. But like, we kind of cut back and forth a little bit of like the scene with Gabe, and then we cut to the money plane, we get a glimpse of like the thieves, you know, hijackers playing, and, and then we cut back, and, and then... But then we get that the hijacking. Now, the hijacking is done by Agent Travers, who's played by Rex Lynn, who mm-hmm. is probably most famous for being in CSI Miami. But like he seemed to pop up in loads of 
90s action films as either kind of asshole FBI agents or corrupt officials or, you yeah. know, like various, like, you know, you might not recognize the name Rex Lynn, but as soon as you see that bald head and mustache, you will know who <laughs> Rex Lynn is. <laughs> if you've if you've watched an action movie in the 90s i think yeah no i i can't even think of which one but yeah he's definitely one of those faces that yeah yeah and that southern accent yeah that's true yeah yeah, yeah. it's all very recognizable there's a lot of recognizable faces in this movie in that kind of like i don't know who exactly who you are or i don't even kind of recognize your name but like i recognize your face i've definitely seen you in things yeah because even the henchman even the one that gets um that goes first with i can't think of his name now yeah i don't know it with the long blonde hair he was kind of one of the henchmen on a ton of 90s action movies. Yeah, that that's true. That's true. Yeah. But so they had a, it was just supposed to be a, what, a regular FBI agent, which will pop up later, his purpose, but um, was with them on the plane. And he's the one who kind of notices something's off and, but Travers shoots him as well, as long, as well as his, his partners. And then, um, but he doesn't make sure they're dead because when the pilot, the i guess corrupt pilot after yes, the, 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 the pilot kills the co-pilot so the, the one of them was in it and then one of them was not yeah and he set it on like an autopilot to just let it crash basically so that i guess the whole plan would be oh this just crashed and all the money's go it was unsalvageable and then they get away with all this money but but they also it, set off a bomb as well yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs> you know to add insult to injury <laughs> to make sure the job is done so travers goes across on the line because he's smart enough to know if he was to send the money first they would have just left him the pilot goes or unlatches the money to let it go down the i guess the zip line into the next plane but the fbi agent is still alive killing dun, dun, dun. the corrupt pilot and then spraying in slow motion a lot of bullets into the plane the i guess the enemy plane that, that is true and also on the radio uh so we at this point don't initially see uh the villain of the movie eric quaylen played by john lisgo but we first before we see him we hear him on the radio and we hear that beautiful english accent <laughs> he is doing which is pure 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 ham just kind of like Oh, yes, I am British. Aha. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. And this was pre, wasn't it? This was pre um, Third Rock from the Sun. So when Lithgow yeah, was still pre- like seen as the villain and things and not, you know. Yeah, because you know, like, like I, th- this is a weird thing. So when I saw this as a kid, I was not aware of that. So okay. like, you know, he, he played a bunch of villain roles before this. He was in a Denzel Washington action movie called Ricochet, which I've not seen. He was in a Brian De Palma film called Raising Cain, which I've not yep. seen. But like, so he's, you know, he's big played villains but like when i first saw this as a kid the only thing i had seen john lithgow in was harry and the henderson oh, movie. Yeah. <laughs> so like i was i just saw him as like this kind of cheerful kind of uh you know like lovable kind of character and i was like why is he the villain like it didn't make <laughs> no sense to me yeah no that makes sense because i think i I can't remember when I first I either watched it around the same time so but I knew I think about Third Rock from the Sun when I watched it so I yeah I, was I think I can't remember if I... I saw it just before Third Rock or, or around the same time as Third Rock because like yeah I mean I didn't see that cinema or anything like yeah. so I 
I, yeah, probably would have seen it around the time of Third Rock. Because I think Third Rock started in like 96 or something. Okay. Um, yeah. I've not double-checked uh, that. Yeah. So I would need for to double-check it. But like, um, yeah. So maybe maybe around the same time. Not quite sure. Yeah. And for any younger-ish listeners, <laughs> Third Rock from the Sun was a famous sitcom about aliens on the planet Earth. With John Lithgow, Joseph Gordon-Levitt, uh, Jane Curtin. There was a um, yeah. It was yeah. kind of a big sitcom when it was you know on at least, and then it was forgotten about. <laughs> I think I, I don't know. I, I, really I think so. It. Yeah, like I'm not. Yeah, it's one of those shows I don't think is still like got like a kind of cult appeal that some other '90s shows do. But like I remember it. It was aired uh, over here in the UK on BBC Two, and okay. I remember I remember watching it and 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 liking it. So, um, so I definitely uh, know the show, and um, I would recommend. I, I've not rewatched it. I remember being no. very funny as a kid. I was going <laughs> to say I recommend people checking it out, but like, um, well, maybe, maybe it doesn't hold up to scrutiny. I, I don't know. Yeah, but like, I remember it being funny. Yeah, uh, same here. It's basically them just trying to adapt to human life, even yeah. though there's alien and William Shatner's in it too. Yeah, it's like they're main leader that pops up occasionally here and there yeah um yeah but it was it was, it was, it, was a, it was a fun show but i, I suppose i suppose we should go back there <laughs> John i was thinking about <laughs> like when you hear his accent as well i was thinking about this i was thinking like of course it's 1993 so your options is your action movie villain can either be well, actually, no, because like the Berlin Wall had kind of fallen there, so like Russians were starting to fall out of favor. So like it, it was mainly your action movie villain would be British or or yeah. some sort of um, or some sort of Arab, some sort of, you know, like from yeah. from one of the Middle Eastern countries. Uh, so that was your main your main choices. I mean. I suppose the Russian villain hadn't completely died out because like Goldeneye was still two years from now and, yeah. um, you know, it obviously had a Russian villain. So mainly in this time period, your action movie villain could be Russian, some sort of person from an Arab country of some sort or British. And that was pretty yeah. much. Yeah. And we'll talk about it when we get to his scene, the, you know, the, the football scene or in the States, the soccer scene, yeah, that whole thing. But it's the, what the Australian, the very muscly Australian is another one that <laughs> kind of pops up. Yeah, that, that, that's true. I suppose there was also like Hans Gruber. So I suppose there was also like the kind of uh, the German villains, but they also yeah. tended to tie into the communism thing because they tended to be East German. Yeah. <laughs> the FBI agent sprays, wait, yeah, he shoots the plane all up and then the, the cargo, the original cargo plane holding the money finally blows up and he almost gets a death that you would associate with a villain because he turns around and he has that scream and all that. But it sends the money, hold it's still onto the, the cord, I guess, but then it drops. And um, so there's three cases, they drop somewhere over the Rockies and then... But the plane can't hold on much longer because it's been shot up. So they crash land somewhere again in the Rockies that are very clearly the Rockies. Yeah. I think some of the minor scenes were yeah. shot in Durango in Colorado. But yeah, most of the film was shot in Italy in Cornwall. Cortina d'Ampezzo and I'm being very my fiance is Italian so I'm being very careful with that <laughs> pronunciation just in case she won't listen to this episode she's not that action fan but like um just in case she ever does listen to it I can say I did pronounce it right so yeah. for our Italian listeners 
<laughs> just just record her saying each of them and then it over your voice yeah. go I'll just dump i'll just dump her into the episode yeah do you know what actually i did want to mention as well that this stunt is in the guinness book of records as the costliest uh st- like costliest aerial stunt on film and oh, really? the stunt guy who did it who who i mean like literally he didn't actually make it into the second plane it was like a bit of careful editing there but the the stunt guy simon crane was paid a million dollars to perform this stunt and he actually yeah he actually went on that wire between two planes from fifteen thousand feet in the air and uh yeah he deserves every penny of that million dollars i think (laughs) yeah no that was um i guess watching it now because there's some where you can obviously tell when it's like a dummy going over the edge or stuff like that especially mm-hmm. when they're doing that sled down the hill like there's a switch oh, but there's some stuff that was played that was like man i know the digital effects at the time wouldn't have been good enough to make it look that real so i, I don't know there were yeah there were certain things where i was like i think that was really done wow yeah i think there is good. a lot of the stuff that's really done like a lot of the climbing stuff was really done yeah as well. Like a lot of the climbing stuff was done by this guy called for like um Stallone's double for a lot of the climbing stuff was a guy called Wolfgang Gluck who sadly died in a car crash uh d- during the filming of of, of oh. this in, in 1992. Um, but apparently at the time he was known as one of the world's best climbers or or whatever. And yeah, so he did a lot of the uh, the stunts uh, climbing wise and. Um, so yeah a lot of it was was done practically and there's some really really impressive stunts here and i think one of like talking about the stunt the plane stunt one of the kind of slightly unfortunate things is the rest of the movie is really fun and i enjoy the movie i think it's a good movie but it kind of doesn't live up to the tension and suspense of the opening scene yeah. and this scene, the, the the mid-air hijack. Like, they're so impressive, it kind of blows everything else out of the water. Yeah, I, I'd agree. And there was a part, I, I guess, checking the time, too, right before I started watching it. And then noting the t- knowing the time, I was like, oh, like this is way longer than it needs to be. I threw watch it because it just, it it does start to feel that drag especially when you're getting into the dude bro subplots and stuff like that that are just not essential at all <laughs> that is true because uh, yes this movie's like an hour and 53 minutes and yeah that's i mean it's like an hour and 45 without credits but like yeah. e- even so you feel like it could have been could have been cut down Maybe yeah, yeah, it could have been cut down to like ninety minutes, um, or yeah, you know, ninety to ninety-five. Uh, yeah. Know. So but, oh, no, no, go no. go ahead, Craig. We roll on. Okay, so they crash, and some of the, the co-pilot dies, and but the rest of the crew are kind of around, and that's when we finally get to meet Eric Quaylen, played by John Lithgow, and he wants to kill. He basically wants to kill Travers, and this pops up several times in case 
you're not aware, but the Travers is the only way to read the the device to kind of figure out where each of the, the three cases are because they have tracking elements on them. And there's 50,000 variations in a 15 second interval that you have to put in the code. So he's basically telling Eric Quaylen, if you kill me, then you'll never find your money. But they need help. So that's when um, Crystal? Is Crystal, yeah. yeah. Played where, by Caroline Goodall. Yes, uh, who is Eric Quaylen's... Uh, I don't know. It's supposed to be his. I mean, I think it's supposed to be his lover. Kind of, I don't know. Yeah, like, um, like it, the movie never fully settles on what she yeah. is to him. Like whether she is a girlfriend or just a fling, or like you know they have a business relationship and a sex thing on the side. Like it, it never, it never really properly kind of settles on like one thing yeah because there's it has lines that go that keep countering it there's like the whole thing about him talking that she'll make a fine wife someday or something to to a different to another man and then yeah it goes back and forth on what it's deciding but she radios in saying that they're just a bunch of hikers that got lost and um it ends up going to jesse hal and frank who are, are in the office jesse hasn't told them that Gabe came by and yeah basically they're just sitting around and Hal is critiquing Frank's artwork of a banana eating a monkey <laughs> <laughs> yes and possibly well it's certainly one of the most random scenes in the movie yes. <laughs> um, and Frank is of course played by Ralph Waite who as we all know was the dad in the Waltons and for younger listeners the Waltons <laughs> was <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> was a tv program in the 70s i i want to say yes um, maybe went on into their ladies and, and it was i don't know like it was set on like a farm or something it was like in the old west and a farm or I it was just... one of the many family or you know sitcoms in the 70s that were yeah it's kind of yeah because i always confuse it i always confuse the waltons and little house on the prairie because yeah. i always think they're the same program <laughs> like isn't that just they just do the same like oh the only thing i know about it is like i watched a few episodes i remember when i was a kid and like the only thing i really truly remember is the night john boy that's that's it yeah <laughs> which i think then was parodied on you know family probably more people would know about the parody from like family guys or yeah whatever that's true that. that's true but um I, the, the thing i wanted to mention as well about this scene is yeah. where is that when crystal phones in like they she basically phones in and then basically they agree to to go up like mountain yeah. rescue is basically already going to be on the way uh like janine has confirmed that they yeah they'll they'll send somebody up but then after she's confirmed that they'll send somebody up she then goes on crystal then goes on to this sob story about like somebody needing yeah. insulin and it's just like but, yeah, yeah that's entirely unnecessary like yeah. they've already agreed you don't have to like you don't have to twist their arm more <laughs> yeah they're yeah and i don't know it was like her it seems like it was something she would have said in the beginning or i don't know because yeah. it's like trying to speed them up but they already she already it's you know it's already an emergency so they're already yeah <laughs> so they're yeah. already coming fast and then the, the thing that compounds it is like uh, john lithgow's character it like 
plays it as if this is like a stroke of genius. Well, Travers, yeah. would you have thought of that? You know, like, you know, because he, yeah, he spends the movie kind of hating on Travers. But it's just like, no, it's not a stroke of genius, Quaylen. Like, they were already coming fast. They already knew it was an emergency. They know a blizzard's coming. They're, they're like they're already agreed like there was no it was just a totally unnecessary thing it was just yeah. uh, over egging the pudding at this stage yeah and so but because of the blizzard element they can't fly up there so hal's just going to go alone or is he because dun, jesse dun, dun. knows that somebody's also in town that's maybe the best in the business the only one that's at, that can you know get up there faster than hal yeah i guess <laughs> <laughs> i guess because yeah because yeah. it's stallone and he's the star yeah. of the movie so therefore yeah. he has to be the best at everything in yeah. the movie because that's how action movies work the, the the one thing i was going to talk about as well yeah in in this scene where she kind of essentially bullies him into joining the rescue yeah. you know like that is what she does at this stage i was like nearly Apart from Stallone is, I mean, he is not as underpowered as he was in Stop or My Mum Will Shoot. But then he literally could not be any more underpowered than he was in that movie. Yeah. But he is acting on maybe about, I want to say about a seven. And nearly everybody else in the movie is acting on an 11. Yeah. Like all of all of the henchmen, John, you know, and John Lithgow and Travers and jesse and M michael rooker's character hal like they're all like just barking like chewing on their lines like screaming things <laughs> like yeah. i just like throughout the movie i was like man these people are cranked up <laughs> I, I felt the same way there's certain parts of you know later on where you see all the henchmen like going back and forth be between one another or things like that it's like geez calm down <laughs> what are you going on here <laughs> just, like, like just... you know it was it got to the stage where like people were kind of shouting and screaming so much and like just snapping at each other violently i was like man like somebody needs to like hand out some volume or something yeah. like people need to just relax like the yeah. the high blood pressure on this <laughs> yeah it gets to the point where you you think well you know even the ones that don't where every member of this elite you know team of Waylands talks about how they're going to kill another member <laughs> you know they're threatening to shoot each other and uh yeah they are the most misfit band of rogues who are just yeah. like all in it for yeah, just uh, yeah they're entirely portrayed as just all in it for themselves and like some of them just get to the point where they don't care about the money and they just want to kill other people <laughs> it's so yeah. funny yeah I don't... oh dear <laughs> yes so gabe stallone um he's the one he's talking about that you don't get this or you lose the feel of climbing and he doesn't want to do it anymore and hal will be just fine but he goes up there and so at the next thing we get we see hal climbing up he gets to a certain ledge and obviously gabe is already there he beat him up yeah. and he's but gabe kind of gives the you know after we handle this i'll be out of your hair hal threatens to kill him by pushing him over the edge but wants him to live with it his live guilt yeah which i, I guess think... yeah like what surprised me about that scene was like Hal's initial lack of surprise of seeing Gabe yeah. mid mountain after not seeing him for eight months. Yeah, because it also talks about how Gabe just basically ducked out for the funeral or right at. I don't know. Yeah, but like basically straight like right after, after the accident happened, yeah. it, it seems to suggest. But then, 
what also in the movie I realized after watching it this time is that Hal never admits to his like there's never any resolution in that because the fact that he brought up you know his girlfriend who didn't know how to climb to this very dangerous spot and he, he like he doesn't take any responsibility that is true you know they just but, deal um, with this horrible thing together and then somehow like buddy buddy again yeah <laughs> we don't care about that move on yeah, <laughs> yeah. but so they're going to kind of work together it's uneasy but then they come across Quaylen and his crew who go to who basically threaten them and say they'll kill them if they don't help find the these three cases yeah and i love this exchange as well because like gabe asks like what they've you know what are they looking for and like travers is like none of your business and then but then john lithgow is like like doesn't doesn't give a fuck he's quite happy to give out the information so he gives the he gives the line uh you know so what what are you looking for and he's like well you know uh shoes socks hundred million dollars the usual (laughs) once again in his beautiful plummy english accent yes I don't know. I mean, John Lithgow, he just played again, you know, accent and all. He plays in such a way where you can tell he's, I think that's what makes it so much better with scenes with him is that he's just enjoying it. It's kind of when we went back to our Seagal thing with like, you know, Michael Caine or whoever, but he even gets more screen time than somebody like Michael Caine um, on Deadly Grounds or things like that. He's just going all in. (laughs) That is true. I mean, you really missed out as well on the Under Siege episode because like that is beautiful stuff the yeah. combination of tommy lee jones's overacting and gary Busey's overacting <laughs> is so insane that it, it it turns into absolute genius yeah <laughs> no, well I, i've talked enough about those performances yeah <laughs> i just miss that level of i guess theatrics that you don't really find anymore <clears throat> in action movies or most movies in general I think the last time I remember seeing a performance of that scale of action villainy is probably something like Paul Giamatti and shoot him up. Oh yeah. Which he's great. Yeah. But that even is done in such a, you know, because it's making fun of it. That it... Yeah, I suppose it's kind of parading it. And, um, yeah. It's like properly off the chain. Yeah. You, know, you don't get like many properly off the chain performances like that nowadays. So if you get anything from this podcast industry, we want more <laughs> off the chain villains. <laughs> oh, actually thought of another one. Uh, it's like a few years after, uh, shoot, shoot him up, uh, Mark strong and kick ass. Oh yeah. <laughs> it's a beautiful performance. I, I really like, I really like Mark strong uh, as an actor. He's a really good villain. And yeah. actually real British. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and he has a connection because he filmed that series that didn't go that far in Detroit, which was based on the miniseries um, Low Sun. Was it Low Sundown or Low? It was a miniseries in England about a, a cop that kills another like a dirty cop and then right. tries to. But then they made a they tried to make an ongoing series in Detroit. Yeah, and okay. It didn't go far. It didn't go. No, but yeah, I guess it was in Detroit. So that's the connection I have. That's That's it. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Uh, So they, um, moving on to the more important stuff, (laughs) is that... Back to the plot. So they kind of push ahead. They are going alongside of a cliff. And, but one of the, they find one of the cases, but it's an 
level higher, I guess, than where they're at. And instead of taking the time to basically walk around the mountain or do whatever they need to, they just decide to send Gabe up because they hear on the radio Jesse calling for Hal. So they know that Hal is the, I guess, the more important one at the moment since nobody knows that Gabe is up there with him. So or so what is it? So Hal is considered the more important one because he's the one Jesse is calling to on the radio. And at this point, nobody knows that Gabe, besides Jesse or the, the bros, know that Gabe's in town and nobody knows that Gabe is with Hal. And so they send him up, but time to accord so he doesn't get any ideas. And at this point, we get kind of the the weird relationship between Hal and Gabe, who Hal talks about how much he hates Gabe and wishes him dead. But then he like, is definitely holding his arm, like patting his arm at one point and trying to say, like, if you're able to get away, do it as he's tying this knot around his leg and yeah. that. And Gabe climbs up without anything and they take his coat to, you know, in the Rockies. And I'll, I'll get to that later about the element of cold that is just kind of yes like <laughs> the fact about. that like um he, he should have died of hypothermia several times throughout the movie yes. is, yeah well we can yeah. kind of yes yeah, an action movie we can kind yeah. of glaze over it yeah <laughs> so many of the characters are just kind of walking around with like no hats and everything but anyway it's so as well talked... that like when he is sent up to climb for the the case of money like when he he's got his jacket taken off him so he can uh, show off his biceps and stuff and his, yeah. his, his, his lovely wet t-shirt and uh, then we know he really means business because he puts his cap on backwards yeah. he just like <laughs> He just like he just like put you know, swivels it around and it's like yeah now it's time for action. <laughs> this is rock climbing. <laughs> <laughs> but he, he finds the well, he finds the box that's buried under snow and then he cracks it open with a rock, sees that it's all the money, the like thousand dollar bill, and um, but that's when we hear that Lithiao saying or or Quaylen saying that well we don't need when he comes back down we don't need two guides so. You know, send him on his way and um hal decides he's going to warn him and tells gabe that they're going to kill you don't come down so they smash yeah. hal's face into the rocks <laughs> but he doesn't die he just gets beaten up throughout the whole entire movie a bunch that is true but like i i think again this feels like one of those classic classic action movie moments where the film could end here yeah like you know <laughs> so if quaylen being the smart super villain that he is if he had just allowed Gabe to climb down, then just shoot him on the spot as soon as he handed over the case and not announce to the whole group that he's going to kill him as soon as he climbs down, then yeah, that would have been that would have been it. Then yeah. they would have just uh, held Hal uh, hostage and let him let him lead them to the other cases of money, and uh, they would have uh, <laughs> they would have got away with it. But uh, yeah. no. Nope, nope, that's not what happens. Yeah, there is a lot of talking. You know, there's that whole, what is it, Die Hard, where the guy's saying, don't, if you have the chance to kill somebody, just kill them, stop talking. And then he, he shoots the guy saying thanks for the advice or whatever. I'm paraphrasing it, obviously. Yeah. But that pops up a lot in this one. Where you're like, <laughs> man, all of these villains are just talking so much before they try and kill, or, you know, taking their sweet time instead of just killing them that's that's true but um the long blonde hair they just start 
um, henchmen start shooting, blasting, and then obviously because for whatever reason he decides to also shoot the grenade launcher component component of his machine gun to create an avalanche, which doesn't work for him because it blows it sends him off the ledge because he doesn't think to oh there's an avalanche coming down, I should step in too. I should instead he yeah. just keeps blasting, yeah. but. And then Stallone. Our, our first our first henchman did. I think yeah. that was uh Hilden, who is played by Dennis Forrest. Yes. Uh who was also in the mask and yes. it sadly like, passed yeah. away in two thousand two. I, I, didn't, I oh. didn't know that. He was only forty one. Jeez. Jeez. But um yeah, that's, that's, that was uh that was his character. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's who I, I recognized him as playing other henchmen. So yeah. yeah, who's also a henchman in the mask. Yeah, and which we talked about. It's not worth getting into, but we talked about before <laughs> recording. We, I think we've had enough sidebars on yeah. <laughs> on third uh, from, from the sun, yeah. the Waltons, other other yeah. other other things we've kind of yeah. gone off on tangents on. We're just we're just going to stick to the movie for the rest yeah. of the episode. Exactly. <laughs> so he is sent off and um, Gabe throws the case and it just kind of scatters the money all over the, you know, flies into the wind and they all think Gabe is dead. One of the many times they'll think Gabe is dead. And um, Quaylen makes the comment about his friend just had the world's most expensive funeral. And then they kind of move on. Move on. There's a lot of fun one-liners in this movie. Yeah. It's, it's full of them. It's a very quippy movie. Yeah. And um, this is where uh, Jesse, or he has Hal finally talk on the radio saying that it was a false alarm, That but don't give any codes or anything and we'll or we'll kill you. And so Hal tells Jesse that it was a false alarm, but he kind of gives some information that only she would pick up on, like saying I'm at the tower instead of the... Um, something something yeah. something bluff or something yeah like, uh, yeah uh another, another part of the mountain uh, yeah so so she knows that something's off and so and she so heads to a, a cabin like the the, the uh, it's like sea a, point. yeah there's a tourist cabin i guess mm-hmm. which has all these kind of old mining memorabilia and stuff like or not mining but rock climbing memorabilia rock climbing things memorabilia. like that yeah, and she gets Frank to take her and saying, "Well, just pick me up in the by night or pick me up in the morning." And then, um, so she's there, and she happens to, or Gabe stumbles in, freezing to death, basically. Yeah, I mean, he was doing fine a minute ago, but yeah, yeah now all of a sudden, <laughs> I, I've put, I, I've put here, uh, suddenly he's dying of hypothermia. Yeah, and so he gives a nice little exposition dump to her. <laughs> of of the plot so far (laughs) yeah and also like as we all know uh if you are suffering from hypothermia if just somebody offers you a warm woolly jumper you're immediately not suffering from hypothermia yeah because that makes up for being (laughs) at peak level of the rocky mountains just wearing a long sleeve sweatshirt just like an old yeah he just cracks open the case of one of the the rock climber exhibition exhibits and it's like this kind of 60 year old jumper that's been sitting in a glass case and uh yeah apparently can just give you the, the exact warmth that you need uh, to recover from the hypothermia that you were suffering from two seconds ago yeah <laughs> so he decides with her that they're going to kind of or he remembers i guess the 
exact locations of the other two boxes. And since he knows the mountain so well, and he, yeah, they're, they want to beat the, I guess, the Quaylen and all of them to the other boxes because they know if they find the boxes, they're just going to kill hell. And is this the point to where we get to see the dude bros again? Do they have that well, little scene? I can't remember when they, I know they pop up for a tent scene at some point. And this, yes, they do okay. pop up for a tent scene, but that is not quite, uh, they pop up for a tent scene in, in a little bit. There's a couple of things okay. that happen before okay. the tent scene. So like they discover the second case Okay. Before, before the 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 dude bros, so, like, the dude bros had turned up again in a very, <laughs> very brief scene where they're just like they're they're just like skydiving or whatever, like yeah, they're, they're doing their, their right, high fives like, and yeah, 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 they're just like extreme sports, bro, yeah, you know, like and and basically it's a non dialogue scene. It's just like a, a kind of they jump off a cliff and okay. then they open their parachutes. Uh, but anyway, before we get back to the dude bros, a very important subplot. <laughs> um, we have the scene where they discover the second case and they, so the, like, Gabe shows that he has a, a great sense of humour because he puts a tracker in, in a snowman, like, basically they take the money from the second case, put the tracker in a snowman, and then write on one of the thousand dollar bills, one a trade, and uh, so so yes so so that happens and also we get a second henchman death and yes. uh, which is the henchman ryan who's played by gregor scott cummins who is also played a bunch of henchmen in in, in various various things and kind of kind of thug kind of kind of roles and this this death is much more hilarious. Yeah. Um, so uh, the the henchman uh, comes up on 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 Gabe, uh, like you know, with with his gun. He is then blinded by a flare that that, that Gabe has, and then they get into a fight, and then they start sliding down the side of the mountain. And Look if they were on the, sleds, <laughs> like they're as, going that fast. Like like their sleds. So yeah. initially, the henchman is riding Stallone like a, he- a sledge, <laughs> and then uh, Stallone manages to flip it over. So then he is riding the henchman like a sledge, and they're they're just speeding down this hill. And um, in like again, this movie is kind of a little bit more gruesome than I kind of remember. Yeah. Uh, so th- like he Stallone smushes the henchman's face into the snow as they're going like 60 miles an hour down the hill like it, it gets to totally ridiculous and just like burns off like half of his face with the the friction of like just how fast they're sliding down the hill on each other um <laughs> and it, it's fast as if you've seen christmas vacation <laughs> when he like loops, yes what is it lubes up his sled and he goes like whipping down the Thing. it's like they're they seem to on each other going that fast yes and then and then it yeah. ends with the henchman going completely off a cliff uh off a cliff ledge and and yet another fine super slow-mo death yeah of falling into the darkness and this is kind of another one of those is still or is gabe dead or not because he hooks on to the edge with um one of the rock climbing i don't know what they're called let those pickaxe things yeah he hooks on to it and then he's holding himself up there but all they see with their night vision 
is that I think both men fl- flew off the edge. But Hal knows. He kind of has a smile and says something. But yeah, <laughs> little quip, I know. Oh, uh, another, another little quip. And then, and then it's the dude bro support. Then we cut to the 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 dude bros uh brett and evan sitting in their tent talking about would you would you rather be here in tent city or like back home man listening to watching mvtv and playing (laughs) air hockey i'd definitely rather be doing that dude Uh, (laughs) so next time when you're watching mtv maybe flip it to the weather channel for a couple minutes so we're not stuck out here you cheese head They're I've just never... so early 90s. <laughs> yeah. I've never heard anyone call somebody a cheesehead. <laughs> no, neither have I. I don't know. Uh, like, but, um, yeah. but then neither of us are from Colorado. Maybe it, yeah. was, uh, maybe it was big in Denver at the time. Yeah. If there's anybody listening <laughs> Colorado. <laughs> Any Denver listeners who were around in the early 90s, can you confirm that cheesehead was a thing or not? I presume not, but (laughs) so they go and at what I might be jumping, but I can't because a couple of these scenes, um, these exposition dumps, they, I forget when they come up since they're kind of so unimportant, but the, when the agents come in to talk to the, oh yeah, the the agents coming in to talk to the other treasury agents, um, like, yeah, that happened a little while ago. Like, I, okay. I just uh, kind of skipped over it because, like, yeah, it it's is. not really important. <laughs> yeah, it's not really important. Basically, they give us a bit of background detail on Eric Quillen of, like, yes, he is a former high-level military guy who then became, like, a soldier of fortune kind of thing, blah, 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 usual action plot, you know, backstory. Um, and, yeah. And then, like, it's like a two-second scene that that is literally the only purpose is to give us a bit that bit of background information and to explain that he is one of the few people in the world who could uh, launder this hundred million dollars. Even though for most people the currency would be useless because bills aren't in circulation, uh, you know, etc. Yes. Uh, so. So yes, so that yeah, that happened uh, happened a little while ago, and then like yeah, the the treasury agents like again their subplot of like they spend the second and a half of the movie just riding around in a helicopter picking up on the plots as it's happening, yeah. um, <laughs> like yeah, that is yeah. So again, they are completely inessential to the film until the very end, and even then they don't entirely need to be there because like they're all experienced climbers probably could have got down the mountain anyway but you know. <laughs> yeah they've been doing it this whole time anyway <laughs> so, so yes fine. so um so, so yeah all right we can pretty much <laughs> skip over the treasury agents um okay good the whole whole subplot they, I mean, the only thing uh, we we should mention is one of the treasure agents, uh, w- Walter Wright, the, the, is the character name, is played by the late Paul Winfield, and uh, he's he's good in things, um, and uh, he is entirely underserved by his role. Yeah, agreed. <laughs> so next up, we so they we get kind of a rekindling of their relationship scene again isn't crucial but they're burning the all the money to, for yeah. fire even from though the, from the second from the second yeah. case and the the money is burning in a not like i guess money or paper wood where it'd just be a flash and then gone it gets su- sustaining 
like yes it, yeah it sustains <laughs> like it's kind of like they've got a fire made of logs of wood yeah they'll last them the whole night yes <laughs> and then he makes another little joke about what the heating of this or it's costing a fortune to heat this place yes yes oh the the, the jokes are the jokes are funny in this film but like <laughs> not in the, like in that kind of like oh yeah i see what you did there kind of way rather than like what they want them to be of like ha 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 how witty it's like yeah. just kind of like, like all right yeah that see what you did. Yeah. gotcha just, <laughs> one of those jokes are still significantly better than every single joke and stop where my mom will shoot <laughs> that's a fair point <laughs> <laughs> Uh, and again, uh, listeners, if you've not seen Star Wars, that will give you an idea of the, the little bar that, <laughs> like, that you need to pass to be better than the jokes in that movie. Yeah. Oh, dear. Um, yeah, so, like, yeah, so we just get, like, this kind of random uh, couple of scenes where they're, yeah. like, bedding down for the night. The villains in the cabin with the, the memorabilia and uh, uh, Jesse and Gabe in the cave and then we get the final conclusion of the dude bro subplot yes who so it's the morning and they come across hell and they're saying you know hey hell we spent the whole night in the tent oh we see that you're just you're babysitting some hikers and things like that and at first quaylen said we're not monsters we're not gonna just walk over to them like normal and we'll you know basically to just act like everything is fine and they can go on their way but then he gives the nod to one of his men who then starts to open or is about to kill them hell knows this and tells the boys to run and we get one of the men or one of the other slow-mo silent gunfire scenes where you yes. just see the machine gun going but there's no like, yeah no audio and it's in slow-mo and one of them the long-haired one I don't know which one they're interchangeable. Oh, it's a, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So I've actually written the names down. So okay. uh, Brett is yeah. the one who dies. Okay. Um, who who yeah. is shot <laughs> by the, the this machine gun? Um. We, actually, Wikipedia describes the henchman Connect as uh Quaylen's second in command and like watching the film, I always assumed that Crystal was second in command. Same here. So uh, I'm I'm not. I'm not sure about that. I feel like Wikipedia is steering people wrong there. But like, yeah, I can see that Kinect is maybe third in command. Um, yeah. You know. And the other fun thing is Kinect is played by Leon Robinson, who is just billed as Leon. And he had a big 1993 because as well as being in this film, he was the lead in Cool Runnings. Yeah, and he also, he's, he's one of those that more and more I realize he's popped up so i know he was in oz he didn't he do he was in like the the temptations yes he was movie yeah. and um but yeah he's one of those people that you kind of you see in a lot of stuff without realizing it <laughs> that that is true that is true because i didn't even write because i've seen cool runnings a bunch and i didn't even write i kind of I was like, ah, I recognize his face. And then he looks quite different from yeah. in here. It's made in the same year, but for some reason, I feel like he looks quite different in Cool Runnings to what he looks like in this movie. Oh, yeah, I agree. Me? No, I agree. Yeah. 
Okay, cool. Okay. Good, good to know it's not just me. <laughs> so they get the one, they get Brett, and then so Evan is able to basically unlatch himself, put the his heart or his parachute on, and jump off the cliff. And that's one of those things where I don't think it never shows that he's been shot, even though he's bleeding later on in a way that it almost seems like he is. But he um, lets go of it's too low of a drop, so he lets go of his. His parachute, but he comes in too fast that he kind of smashes through some trees yeah. and gets tangled up in the trees, but he's still alive. And the only purpose of that scene, I think, is so that Frank, yeah, um, oh, Frank, Frank, <laughs> can, Frank can be dragged out. Yeah, and so yeah, the other extreme sports uh, sports dudes, bro, is uh, Evan possibly survives the film like basically um frank gets him out of the tree kind of slings him over the shoulder and we never see him again so i don't know i think he takes him i think it's a suit because you don't see him in the you don't see him in the after. helicopter where frank re-enters the film so like yeah he must have took so he back. must have took him down the mountain so like presumed alive i'm, I'm yes. guessing <laughs> because he's moaning and stuff when the wolves come to lick up the blood and bite at him yeah 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 he's, he's still like he, he's he's stirred by that and um yeah so I, i'm i'm guessing he's maybe still still alive he survived the movie it, it does it's, yeah. it's not it's not confirmed but uh, okay. yeah, we we think he might be we think he might have survived this story he had a happy ending he had a happy ending unlike it's but well did he you know because like without his fellow dude bro Maybe he never recovered. Never jumped again. Mm, uh, so yes. <laughs> oh, that's gonna be your next movie. Yeah, like... yeah. What happens after? What happens? After? It's a dark drama about it. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. About a guy in therapy, like mourning the loss of his best friend, stroke soulmate. Uh... <laughs> That'd be good. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, moving, moving yeah. on. Uh, Sly and Jesse are the. This is where they go into the cave and are attacked yes. by bats. Oh yeah, so they kind of climb through, and he sticks his hand in it, and the bats almost seem like they're more of a threat than even some of the villains and stuff. I don't know. Yeah. Jesse, she starts freaking. This kind of fell off for me, I guess, in that sense, because it fell off in the sense as well where. I think this is the point in the movie where we've established that Jesse is just as skilled as Hal and Gabe, pretty much. Like, yeah. she's a helicopter pilot. She's a skilled climber. You know, she knows what she's doing. Uh, she's resourceful. She's tough. Um, she doesn't put up with uh, bullshit from the other male characters up until this point in the film where she yeah. just starts to act like an idiot where like Gabe is like, now be quiet because like, you don't want to disturb the, disturb the bats. And she's like, what? <laughs> <laughs> then the bats will come like, rushing out. Yeah. So at this point in the movie, she suddenly loses skills and IQ points for no reason. Yeah. And, and, yeah, I don't know why the scene was it, because the scene isn't even doesn't add anything. It doesn't alert any of the other characters, you know, the villains or it's just oh, it's not like yeah, it's not like they hear the all. bats and be like, yeah. hey, what's what's disturbed all those bats over there? Oh, look, it's the good guys. Let's shoot them. No, yeah. it's just like it's just more kind of random padding. Yeah, They're like oh well, we have a bunch of bats. Let's let's do that scene. <laughs> Apparently, <laughs> so they had to shoot it separately. Apparently, they weren't. Really? Um, 
Yeah, apparently uh, Janine Turner and Sly himself weren't that keen on filming with bats, <laughs> uh, so they had to kind of film film it separately with the, the footage of the real bats and them them in the cave, kind of which, fake bats, kind of hanging up. <laughs> which, for horror fans, the connection can be that um, Leon is in the movie Bats from nineteen was that nineteen ninety nine? I don't remember. Oh that. yeah, <laughs> he's like the sidekick or something. Yeah. Yeah, there we go. A little bit of there, 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 there you go. trivia, horror <laughs> trivia. <laughs> um, but yeah, so this now kind of cuts back and forth between because Frank doesn't come up yet. There does. Uh, yeah, I mean, like just okay. after the bats is is when is when Frank comes okay. up to. Because I know yeah, so we're there. cutting between quite a lot of things because we're cutting between the the villains on the bridge, uh, Sly and Jesse in the cave. Uh, the treasury and FBI agents in the like the helicopter and like yeah and and Frank uh, coming for the for the dude bro guy yeah and so so they're Quaylen basically says you stay back and wait for them to come because this is the only way for them to like, get across to the next I guess part of the mountain yeah because it's kind of, there's a big kind of um, canyon between two of the peaks and yeah. and there is uh, a kind of hilarious bit where the henchmen are like you know because everybody shouts everything in this movie yeah <laughs> uh, the henchmen are just screaming at, at like uh at, at how you know how are we gonna get across and how's like we're gonna get across via that bridge and i've written down in my notes how did they not spot that bridge yeah yeah it, i mean the whole area it's not like it's covered in trees or anything it's like very you know clearly laid out kind of level Thing. that's yeah. the only way. it's very very clearly laid out and it's also less than 100 meters away when hal points at it yeah that's why you need a mountain climbing expert yeah. for any situation <laughs> because henchmen can't see things <laughs> yeah and then this is also where the henchmen are even fighting amongst themselves and want to you know kill each other as well and yeah well i mean more so yeah because there had been a scene actually earlier when like when they discovered the, sto- the snowman with the tracker in it where one of the henchmen delmar who's played by a british actor called craig fairbrass and um he's like kind of like fuck the money uh you know like yeah. at, the, at, the, at that stage uh so um uh, yeah so so they all just want they all just want to kill each other um i I like rewound the scene like a couple of times, like when they're setting the the C four or you know setting the yeah. C four for the bridge. I couldn't make out. So Craig Fairbus, Del, the Delmar character, says a line about blowing up that bastard as well, yeah. and uh, which I think is meaning like the other henchman connect. And he says something in between that, and I was like, I kept being like. Does he say what I think he says? Because I was like, is that like uh I, I I was just wasn't sure. I was like, I was like, was not sure if a racist line was said or not. I yeah, just couldn't make is. out. I was like, is that what what did you pick up from that? From the one I watched so I watched on Amazon 
Prime. So so did it I. Said, I watched the yeah. remastered uh, Studio Canal remastered yeah. on Amazon Prime as well. So he said to me that from what I heard that um and it'll blow up that and then talks about his color but saying black. Yeah, that's what yeah. I thought I heard. And but, then I was like, even in nineteen ninety three, yeah. that seems like a dodgy line. Yeah. And so I think that I mean that's really but yeah, that's what he said. Because I had um funny enough when I was watching this, it was late and so my I um toddler was asleep and so I even though she's like sound asleep, I'll still turn on, especially for these episodes, I'll turn on the um, subtitles as well. Mm-hmm. And so that's what it said, at least on the subtitles. But Oh, so actually, yeah, so actually, so I did, because I, I, Chris, he does not, he doesn't like announce the, the line that yeah. well. Like, so it seems kind of garbled. That's why I like, you know, kind of put it back and listen to it again and that's what i thought he said but i just couldn't and i was just like yeah i suppose because i i knew that he said like i hope that it blows up that something bastard as well and i was like oh i hope it's not and then i was like it probably is oh, it is that, that's <laughs> kind of upsetting <laughs> yeah it was yeah but so, anyway well it's but let's move on from the movie's brief moment of racism yeah and so this is again more the cut back and forth while they're climbing up um then frank comes in the helicopter and he finds um crystal who's laying there laying on the ground basically as bait like she Mm. the victim passed out he runs over to her she quickly grabs his sidearm and points it at him and then um but delmar points the gun at him while they're holding hal against a rock like in the distance away and he's screaming frank which i always remember that scene i think just because of how he's saying it like he's saying in this cry yell thing yeah but to toy with hal more they let hal start running to him but delmar doesn't like that and so even though he wasn't supposed to shoot Frank because he has issue with hell, he decides to basically blast Frank away. Which Who also dies in slow motion. Yes. Again, it goes into a, a silent. You don't hear any of the, like, really, the gunfire or anything. You just see the bullet spraying. Yeah, that, the yeah. blood spray the, and, and uh, Hal's slow motion run towards him. And... Yeah. Everything's. It's a pretty melodramatic film. Yeah. <laughs> very, but Frank gives Hal his version of like a Chekhov's gun. He hands him a knife that, or Hal is able to kind of conceal in his boot. So I guess it wasn't in vain for the plot. No. <laughs> Frank's death, not in vain. We yeah. always remember Frank and his art. Yeah. <laughs> His banana eating a monkey. <laughs> and the only reason why he decided to go up there or take Jesse up there is because she said she would buy some of his art. So that that is true. So the art was incredibly important to the plot. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> and so Jesse should feel really bad that it cost Frank his life. Uh not that we think about that in the end of the movie when everybody's no. <laughs> like, well, that's over. Yeah. Uh but anyway, let's Let's move on to possibly, well, not not possibly. Let's move on to my favorite henchman death. <laughs> so, uh, Kinnett finds Gabe, and then like uh, he should, he sh- like basically Gabe pops up from the cave, uh, from the underground cave system, and Kinnett uh, is there, and then they have a confrontation, and um, he like fire, he like uh, hits him in the leg with the pickaxe thing. Um, yeah. And he kind of fires down at him, and so he jumps back down into the cave, and then Kinnett jumps down after him, and then at this point, Kinnett suddenly knows martial arts, 
which he's is, yeah. previously not really shown. And um, he is just breathing uh, Stallone down with his excellent martial arts skills, just kicking him all over the place. And um, again, like in the case of like everybody being at an 11 in this movie, he just keeps screaming at him. Like every time yeah. he says something, he's just like, wrong answer, motherfucker. And then just kicks him again. It's like, yeah. <laughs> because he keeps asking where the money is. And he said, I burned it. And he thinks, well, no, nobody would be that stupid to burn it. And he keeps insulting Jesse too by calling her. He's like, no man would burn it if it was, you know, burn a m- bunch of money over over his life and or would choose money over his life and his you know, he keeps calling her um, a bitch. Yeah. Is what, yeah. I mean, he just, he like keeps saying it a ton and um yes like i mean that is basically yeah like half of what he says um yeah. in this scene is just the word bitch and wrong answer motherfucker yeah all of which he is saying at like an extreme pitch of <laughs> yeah. and so it it's played initially like oh jesse's going to help him because she's like, capable and he didn't really do much to her. he hit her she fell to the side she grabs his gun there's no bullets. And he says, you know, no bullets. To Yells no bullets to her as he beats up Stallone more. And you'd think, oh, she's going to play more of a part because he's just beating up Stallone. But no, she just kind of lays there and watches. And that's it for her. That is, that <laughs> as Stallone it. and him fight. But then, after, like, totally beating him down, and just as he's about to kill him with his giant Rambo knife that he's brought for the trip, yeah. Uh, um, like in just the most hilarious fashion, Stallone grabs him by the balls, lifts him up, and gorilla presses him onto a <laughs> stalagmite that go that runs straight through him, and it is glorious. <laughs> yeah, and then he just lets him drop to the ground. But I noticed also he had like brass knuckles on him. They never used, and he, I don't know why. The, the brass knuckles were character. part of the knife. Oh, okay, that's what I. I, I that, that was I like the so handle much. of the knife. Okay, then so, that makes more sense. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. So those like gold brass knuckle things. That that was that that was the handle of the knife, the big okay. Rambo knife. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then um, yeah, the Jesse comes up and was like, "Oh, I thought you were dead." And I don't know. Again, yeah, at this point to... in the film, she's entirely useless. Yeah, <laughs> just like in a bit, how she'll like get captured, and we'll get to that. Yeah, we'll get to that <laughs> at, at, at the end. Yeah, again, <laughs> because the plot says so. But <laughs> so they are going for the. He dropped one of the radios, and they can hear. Well, I guess because it jumps back and forth so much. Um, this kind of happened right before Frank's death because they hear Frank on the radio and they're reaching for it. The Frank's death happens. Hal is able to get a hold of the radio and tells or yells. Yeah, there's, yeah, yeah. yeah there's, there's a there's a bomb. Basically. So you have to get and out. They have to get out of the cave system. Yeah, that which yeah, yeah it's happened slightly before uh, Frank dies in glorious slow-mo. Yeah, <laughs> and so they quickly climb out, which Jesse has a little bit of trouble it seems like gabe has to help her climb out a little bit um and they start to go across the bridge and they see it is about to go off it does and they have to do the whole run across the bridge as it's collapsing so what yeah. happens with it and then i think that's when we get into delmar and hal right? well actually slightly uh, no. before yep. slightly before delmar we get like because the you know i mean basically quaylen's supposed to be this like great former military intelligence officer and you know it's assembled this kind of crack squad of thieves and killers 
and yet like everybody is not on the scene everybody is on different yeah. pages i mean like he has not assembled a good team and no. everybody hates each other and everybody <laughs> wants to kill everyone else and then there is another scene of this of uh you know like basically he tries to screw over travers again travers explains the same thing that he's already explained a bunch of times about the thing of like the codes and fifty thousand variations on the codes and 15 second window <laughs> to put in the codes so they still need them because like codes 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 and um yeah and then Quaylen just kills crystal like, yeah oh, um, because because she's he is the only one to pilot the the helicopter yes. she could too but and travers was about to kill Quaylen or something but says well now that she's dead you know you you're stuck with me if you want to get out of this alive too yeah i i feel kinda. like <laughs> I, yeah kind of and it it, it feels just like a kind of mean-spirited moment of like, yeah. I know Crystal's also a villain, but you know, it just feels like it just feels like one of those kind of heavy-handed action things. Of like, if you want to show that your action movie villain is really, really evil, not just regular evil, but really evil, you show them either killing a woman or beating up a woman or you know just uh, you know throwing around a woman, you know something something like that, and yeah. it just feels like it feels unnecessary. I feel. Yeah, because he gives the whole line too of, do you know what real, what is it? I had the quote up. Do you know what real love is? Crystal sacrifice. And then that's why he shoots her. Yeah. All up. But yeah. Um, it's really, I say this about an action movie uh, villain, but I feel that Crystal deserves better. Like <laughs> yeah. she should have died by Stallone's hand. I agree. I think it kind of just, yeah, it, kind, it feels cheap in a way that is just like, trying to get down the death count so they can move the plot ahead. <laughs> that is true and much like the character of jesse as well like again the you know throughout the movie crystal has kind of been portrayed as this like kind of ice-hearted femme fatale and then suddenly she becomes like this kind of simpering character that you're just like where'd this character come from like yeah. just in moments before she dies like it, it seems like the type of character that in another action movie it would have been the whole um, her versus Jesse, you know, type of thing. Oh or yeah, yeah, like yeah. They, they would have had the showdown there. They would have like a like a fight or something. Yeah, for sure. So then you're not showing, you know, Stallone, I guess, killing a woman. That's true. So. It, it does feel like yeah, in a, in another movie, that's what I I feel like that probably would you know because like they're both shown to be like resourceful and badass in the beginning of the film anyway yeah. and um yeah that kind of would have made sense you know like um, if they had had like their own showdown and yeah I, I feel like it's a cheap i feel like it's a cheap death of all the deaths yeah. in the movie i feel like it's the cheapest yeah and so then after that um this is the this is the delmar hall standoff after that yes so they're able to they're looking for the money which gabe had found he told um i think he basically tells jesse to run and and so he fills up he finds the the last case fills up his bag with all the money and then he sees a rabbit hole and while I guess um, Quaylen is getting the helicopter ready, or at least standing guard near the helicopter. Then, um, yeah, they, was it Travers and Delmar go with Hal to find the last case? And then they're like, oh, well, it's just right around this corner. 
I'll go grab the case, which is what Trevor said. Now you take to Delmar. He basically says you take care of Hal and do it quietly because you've there's already been so much noise to alert people within a 10 mile radius of what we've been doing. And so that's where we get the nice little monologue of Delmar where he takes way too long. And, you know, yeah, it's a it's a very funny scene, though. So like basically, yes. So Delmar explains that he used to be a football player. Or for yeah. American listeners, a soccer player, and, and a then striker. He, yeah. Yes, he was. He was. A, he was a striker, and then he makes all these analogies. He's kicking Hal with each kick. He makes all these kind of uh, football analogies of like, oh, he steps up for the penalty, and oh, like you know, like uh, and um, and then yeah. So he, he's he's doing all this stuff, but before he starts like beating down on Hal, like I did like one. <laughs> One of my favorite lines in the movie is, and again, it's the intensity with which everything is said uh, entertains me as much as the lines themselves. But when Michael Rooker, um, like, kind of takes off his jacket and stuff and is like <laughs> ready to die, and like he says, um, he says he calls Del- Delmar a- a- an asshole. And um, then Delmar kind of quips back that, you know, like, well, I'm going to kill you, basically. And then he quips right back at him. In a minute, I'll be dead. You'll always be an asshole. (laughs) And then he rips off his coat. And I can't, I don't know what the line said, but I thought it was something like, I want to get cold. Or I don't know. I like the cold. Yeah. For some reason, he just rips off his coat. And again, that logic part of me that has popped up in many of these things and somebody who's grown up in you know very cold climate um i'm like how are these people handling this weather like this well yeah i mean like i am from scotland and (laughs) you can get pretty nappy out yeah and uh yeah no like uh you know all these people in t-shirts and stuff and you're like yeah that's not no no, that's not happening. But yeah. but anyway, yeah, we can't apply too much logic no. to these films as we've already discussed at, at length in, in some other episodes. Uh, but but yeah, so like we get all these football analogies. Uh, he's going on and on about uh, you know referees handed out red cards and uh, uh, penalty taken and all this kind of stuff. And eventually, it all gets too much. And eventually, Hal gets gets the upper hand because he, you know, like you say, the Chekhov's gun thing. He gets that knife out, he stabs him, and then he pulls him <laughs> over the ledge, off the uh, ledge of the cliff, and then he delivers another great quippy line yes. where he says, "Season's over, asshole." And he cocks that he grabs a shotgun too. He grabs the shotgun off his back, cocks it one hand, and then blasts him. Yeah, <laughs> holding a sh- well, dangling for life off the cliff. He's able to also use one hand to fire a giant shotgun. I, again, I, I don't know. Yeah, like, like logic. But, again, no, I love too it. much. Yeah. Too much logic. Um, but that's yeah. One of my, that's actually one of my favorite lines. Is the season's <laughs> over. <laughs> he says it with like, such a yell and a yeah, it's like. Yeah, crank up to twenty or something. <laughs> but um, I I think again everybody's you know, everybody's yelling everything like you know Craig Fairbass is yelling all his like um all his lines all his football analogies yeah uh, you know like, at great intensity he's certainly on eleven or whatever and also uh, Craig Fairbass is uh, sporting a great early nineties mullet in this yes. in this movie like a uh, uh you know peak. 
henchman mullet that you know is required for at least one henchman yeah. in in a movie of this time period to have so um well done him <laughs> it was it's one of the things that needs to be need to be checked off for each thing. Yeah, yeah. yeah does at least one of these henchmen have have a mullet um it is still 1993 this is kind of the dying days of that i feel like yeah. i feel like as we move into the mid 90s the the henchman mullet is uh, it moves on generally uh, mullets either henchman mullets or hero mullets like the like the rambo yeah. or like um you know uh, rigs um you know they they all move on you know by the by the mid 90s so this is kind of the tail end of the of the action movie mullet yeah i think it's switched over into which we even see in this one too where it was like there was the henchman one henchman at least had to have long hair like almost long wiry yeah that kind of yeah because it becomes kind of more gothy like especially like you know the very next year 94 would see the release of the crow and and i feel like there's a lot more gothy look comes into the the henchman uh, in the mid 90s going into the late 90s so that that becomes more more of a thing and um I, I also like things I, again like tattoos become more of a thing the more the more you get into the 90s as well yeah they had to get all those heavy metal villains too <laughs> well, heavy metal looking villains <laughs> yeah like and you you get like a lot of kind of like you know kind of yeah kind of lank haired kind of like um get like a lot of kind of donald log type engine you know it was like i just uh you know uh not that long ago rewatched blade so i think that's why i was thinking about oh, okay. donald log yeah <laughs> <laughs> which happened to him yeah. he'll appear on like um I don't know, stuff occasionally as somehow like a henchman or like in a he'll be the father of somebody you know in a sitcom or things like that yeah yeah i remember that sitcom grody for yeah. life uh you know, yeah like him yeah but um yeah that was kind of he had that period of being like kind of henchman and stuff and and then like yeah, like the, the kind of odd sitcom and stuff, but like, uh, yeah, I've not seen him in a while. But anyway, I suppose yeah. he's nothing to do with Cliffhanger, yeah. so we should probably go back to the Cliffhanger. <laughs> we can do another episode where we talk more about the henchman career of Donald Logue. Yeah. <laughs> so for anybody that's interested... <laughs> but... Please head on over to our Patreon that doesn't exist yet. Yeah. <laughs> So what is gets... happening? What is happening yeah. in Cliffhanger, uh, Craig? Tell us what is happening. So the listeners gets... are dying to know. <laughs> yeah. This is, gets into one of the kind of, I always thought it was, I'm not sure, I guess, talking with you, one of the more iconic scenes in this, just because of the underwater element, but where Travers is, he finally, he finds out that the that the case is, you know, um, Gabe got to the case already and that he put the tracking device on a rabbit. So while he's trying to find it, it's like, the device or the tracking is going all over the place i do want to quickly interject apparently in the original cut of this movie that was shown to a test audience um when traver snaps and he just fires into the snow the the rabbit dies and that oh. didn't test well so that's why the rabbit survives uh, okay and in, uh, in the actual film that we see now Okay, that make, I was actually curious about that, but um, 
Yeah, people get like you know, like a a guy can get mashed into a stalactite or stalagmite. I got kind of, but um, you know, like uh, don't let a rabbit die. Yeah. Um, So he goes after. um, He starts shooting after um, Gabe, and Gabe jumps off this ledge and jump. I don't know. He it shows him jump off the cliff, and he goes twenty feet in the air, um, just like in distance alone, not even the drop. Yeah. But then he follows him around, and then they basically they come across this frozen river, and um, Gabe jumps or pulls him through this um, bridge. Yeah, this bridge that's all that's old and it's been there for a long time. And they bolt Gabe falls into the under the water and Trevor starts shooting at, at him. But I think before, oh, uh, which again is not important to the plot at all. Um, Travers gives away over the airwaves that he's working with Quaylon and everything, and the FBI, the agents. The the FBI and Treasury agents uh, pick this up as they yeah. kind of follow the plot as we do. Yeah. And so he's just saying he's just saying. Quaylen's name outright so now Quaylen's all upset about that too but again it's not really crucial to know <laughs> that's important <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> again these these scenes could be entirely cut out and it would make no difference to the film just yeah. like the dude bro uh, scenes you know like again would make no difference to the central plot of the movie but anyway <laughs> they're there um fun times <laughs> and so he keeps shooting he finally sees i guess or what is it so gabe strips down while he's under the water because clothes will sink you and so you know he doesn't want to be sunk and he wants his muscles to show <laughs> and so <laughs> trevor's is shooting got off the show show off those pecs man yeah <laughs> he comes across the clear area and he's about to finish him off but that's when gabe pulls out a gun that he was able to find on one of the dead bodies and he blasts Travers through the a couple of times, and Travers himself falls into the water. And Gabe comes out, and he's greeted by Hal, who then, you know, obviously he's freezing because he's been underwater without <laughs> clothes. But you know, he's able to be fine again. Yeah, he's able <laughs> with the shirt on or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, again, magic jumper uh, comes into play again, and he's all good after that. After again nearly dying of hypothermia yeah. once, once again um and, uh, but as we all know that can just be uh, brushed off with uh with a cozy jumper and yeah. uh, and then we we move on we, yeah. we move on and i think this is kind of intercut as well with i i would agree with you i feel like it is kind of the one of the scenes that sticks out in my head the most of him like uh, shooting the gun from from under the ice like that's kind of the, the i feel like probably the third biggest moment that sticks yeah. out in my in my head after the the you know the aerial kind of money transfer and and the opening uh, sequence yeah. um or like the the, the thing with the Guy's gorilla pressed in this dog team is always stick there in my mind as well. Is it also because it felt like wrestling? Uh, I was a wrestling fan as a kid, and it's just a it's a particularly bloody gory moment um, yeah. for this film as well. Um, but yeah, so this is this is also being intercut with um, uh, Jesse being being kidnapped because as we've established, she's now useless. Yeah. She's just bumbling about the movie, uh, getting herself in trouble, tripping over trip <laughs> wires to set off bombs and and scaring uh, scaring bats into action and, yeah. and and all sorts. So like she, you know, we've established she's entirely brainless and useless now. 
Yeah. And so she thinks it's Frank who landed, even though who knows? Anyway, (laughs) (laughs) forward. And so they finally, Quaylen is yelling for Travers and they sit and, you know, Hal makes a little quip about him being, or I can't remember, take a swim or he's in the river or he's going to be, I don't know, somewhere, I forgot. He's going to be somewhere in the water. Um, Yeah. Suggesting that he is dead. And then Waylon basically says how that he, you know, he has Jesse. And so they can make a trade. The remaining 30 million for, you know, for Jesse. So they have to, because, yeah, he captured her. And so they have to go and make this trade, which they, as we're reaching the end, they basically, they go up there, which Hal is not really part of. I don't know. He kind no, of, he, he's there, not, but disappears he's not. We do bit. not, we do not see it like, um, so like, yes, in this kind of standoff, Gabe is standing there with, with the money. They kind of have this back and forth. We do not know where Hal is in this sequence yeah. at all until like jesse is safely off the helicopter and then yeah he kind of comes back into in in a minute but there is this kind of brief moment of just like and, and where's where's Hal? Stand- <laughs> yeah. he's just standing off to the side just doing nothing like uh just kind of killing killing time until till his cue i suppose um yeah. so like yeah it's a bit confusing as to where uh hal is at this point but like yeah, Gabe is standing there with a bag of cash. He's waving the cash about. He says he'll give the cash as long as uh, you know, uh, you know, put Jesse down first, which uh, Quaylen obligingly does. You know, like surprisingly for a villain, he's just like, sure, okay, this yeah. seems like a, a good plan. Uh, and then, but then Gabe <laughs> doesn't get. Well, he does give him the money, but he doesn't give him the money in the way he wants, does he, Craig? No, he throws the money into the propellers so it just scatters all over the place and then that's when in his kind of hysteria of what's happening Gabe is able to take the I guess like the cord one of those latches and hooks it to the to this ladder that's been established from early on Mm -hmm. that they climb up has been built bolted into the side of the mountain and it's connected of course to the helicopter and then that is when Hal pops up next to Jesse and begins firing the shotgun into the helicopter and so the whole thing is going and he's chasing after um it's kind of falling apart he's chasing after gabe gabe jumps and hooks onto the the ladder itself then the helicopter goes to quailing goes to basically fly off but loses control the helicopter falls taking much of the ladder with it but smashes into upside down into the the side of the cliff making um gabe fall onto the helicopter as well but quailin isn't dead and so they begin to have a fight on top of this upside down helicopter that is on the side of the mountain yeah. and, and somehow- it's weird yeah. as well because like again john lithgow is really he's relatively kind of cuddly so he, yeah he shouldn't <laughs> he shouldn't make he shouldn't make a kind of good sparring partner for um stallone but in this scene, and it's possibly just because he's wearing a really bulky black jacket, but he does yeah. look surprisingly imposing. And I suppose you do realize in this scene, you know, there's some stars like Stallone that you kind of don't realize how small they are because of the way they're shot all the time. Yeah. And in the reverse, you kind of don't realize what a big guy John Lithgow is. Because you like suddenly you look at them like standing stand side by side and you're like, 
John Lithgow's actually quite quite a big fella. He's actually, yeah. you know, like, and so he actually does look quite imposing. So it doesn't look as silly as you might think, just having seen maybe a, a bunch of John Lithgow things and playing more kind of uh, cuddly characters or and came playing more dramatic roles. So it, it kind of doesn't seem like he kind of fits in a kind of action universe. But it does it does kind of work, and their their final battles actually all right. Yeah, and I also took it. I guess too. There's that part of me that was like, well. You know, even though it's Stallone and all that stuff. Well, he's been kind of for these days, you know, with barely anything walking around or, you know, climbing and getting beaten up. Yeah. So maybe true. he's not on full strength or something. <laughs> uh, as, well, as well as that. Yeah. 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 I, and I, I suppose, like, you know, again, you know, it, it, in the kind of backstory dump that we get, you know, like he, he is, uh, John Lithgow's character is supposed to be like this former kind of special ops type guy. So we are supposed to believe that he has some like, uh, fighting skills and, and yeah. stuff like that so like yeah it's, it's they're they seem relatively even matched there but like yeah. it's, it's a fairly short fight and yeah. um but again because this this movie loves its uh loves its quippy one-liners like like all the the, the best <laughs> action movies like basically stallone stuffs them back into the helicopter and delivers the line remember shithead keep arms and leg in the vehicle at all times you know like uh riffing yeah. on you know uh plain advice that you get and then uh, and then we get a hilarious we get a hilarious death and like yeah. we get this hilarious uh, one of those hilarious close-ups onto John Lithgow's but, uh, face and his reaction I, shot. Is that great? I, yeah. What I love is it's not like a, him yelling. It's almost like him going, ooh, or something like that. <laughs> like, the way he reacts to it doesn't fit with like a normal... <laughs> Um, oh no it is it is kind of like it's you know again uh we've talked about under siege a couple of this time yeah a couple of times in this episode because it is the the other joint highest uh rated uh film that we have we have covered and there is a similar there's a similar kind of close-up reaction face shot when Gary Busey dies in uh, Under Siege, yeah. and like it is again, it does feel like something out of a spoof of an action movie because yeah. they both kind of pull this face of like, yeah. <laughs> it's like the face that when I don't know one of those like Dr. Pimple Popper is on <laughs> and the commercial for it's on TV, and I'm like, Ew. yeah, <laughs> <You know? laughs> that's that's the same face that is made. Oh dear. But then everybody is now dead, so that we know when that means the, the movie is over. Uh, the, yeah, the, <laughs> mission the, successful for for Gabe and the gang. So the useless agents come up or come up, and Hal says something about if you're looking for Quaylen, look at he's the one wearing the helicopter as a hat. Yeah, you know, you, like yeah, so. he's four thousand feet down, and he's he's wearing the helicopter. And so, and then you know they're going to get picked up by the helicopter, which again isn't crucial. But that's it. And then it just kind of zooms out and shows the mountain, and they're all friends again. And yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that, that's it. That, that's it. Reunited uh, one, once again. Are all previous troubles now under the bridge? Uh, we mentioned a bunch of times that um, the movie is quite melodramatic. Yeah. Like lots of the actors seem to be full on melodrama. And adding to the kind of melodrama of the movie 
is the main theme of the movie. The music was uh, composed by uh, Trevor Jones. And yeah, it's really quite melodramatic yeah. music. And it's not kind of typical action movie music. It feels like it should be made for like a kind of romantic Western. And yeah. I noted that some of the reviews for the soundtrack of this uh, of this film noted that um, it sounds quite similar to Trevor Jones's work on uh, Last of the Mohicans. And oh. I, I was like, yeah, yeah, that's a fair point. And um, yeah, and it does feel like it, it should score a film like that, not necessarily an action film uh, like like this. Certainly the main theme. There is other uh, incidental music in, in the film that, that feels more kind of action here or, or whatever. But yeah, it does give it this kind of melodramatic romanticism kind of throughout the film that I, I find intriguing. Yeah, no, I agree. Yeah, it, it feels, I don't know, in a way it makes it kind of unique just because it doesn't have that similar one, but then it yeah. also feels feels off. <laughs> More feels so kind of odd, unique. Yeah. yeah. Like, what is this? <laughs> um, and then... Uh, but that's 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 it. We've we've covered cliffhanger. The only the one a couple of things that I wanted to mention, like watching the random things I wanted to mention about the end credits, was I did note the the kind of the harness thing that at the start of the movie that was called the black diamond harness. In the credits, it does mention that they had they they had tampered with it so it didn't work. So okay. obviously trying not to offend the manufacturers yeah. <laughs> of that particular piece of, of climbing equipment. And also uh, at the very end of the credits, it mentions, uh, it just, you know, does a little bit of uh, advertising for Cliffhanger, the video game, which oh. is apparently available on all Nintendo and Sega platforms. Uh, so there you go. I did not know there was a video game. But... Yes, there was. There was a video game and it is advertised <laughs> in the end credits right at the very end of the end credits. <laughs> So it was not well reviewed. Um, okay. Like many movie tie-in video games, it, it wasn't. It was apparently a kind of one of those kind of side-scrolling actioners, uh, much yeah. like a kind of Double Dragon. Which, again, if you are a younger listener, which you probably aren't, because you're listening to this podcast and you want some nineties nostalgia, um, yeah, Double Dragon was a, a game in the night it was a kind of <laughs> fighting game uh, in the 90s um, where your your character would uh, scroll across the side of of the screen uh like yeah just type in side scrolling side scrolling <laughs> games and you you know you'll yeah. get more information we can't elaborate too much we've gone on long enough yeah. <laughs> but double dragon was also had its own adaptation which it did have its own adaptation it starring mark dacascus which i'm yeah. sure we'll talk about at some stage yeah <laughs> but we're not going to talk about it right now uh yeah. because that that is it for this week we've yep. gone on enough sideways tangents that is, 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 is enough we need to draw a line this episode needs to stop <laughs> at some point and it's going to stop right now but i just hope that everybody listening has enjoyed our thoughts on cliffhanger if you have different thoughts or if you just want to give us a shout out uh, please please give us comments on, on our twitter page um, and please rate review and subscribe to us on apple podcasts 
on Spotify. But anyway, that is all from me, Scott Murphy, and all from Craig. Thank you for having me again. And yeah, enjoy Cliffhanger. It's the best <laughs> one so far. Yeah. <laughs> um, we are going to keep on rolling uh, with our Stallone season next week when we will be covering another feature that we're excited to talk about. Yes, it's his other 1993 film, Demolition Man. But until then, see ya.